come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. There we go. I was, uh, I was 12 years old, and, and it shouldn't have happened. But I, I came home from school, and, uh, and I bebopped into the kitchen. And yes, back in the day, we bebopped from place to place. And there it was, right before my eyes on the kitchen table, a, a book called An Illustrated Guide to your changing body. Now my mother, who curiously would not look me in the eye, said, take that and read it, and we'll talk about it later. Well, I took it, and I read it. I mean, if this is reading. But there was no way under God's heaven I was ever going to talk about what was in that book with her. (laughs) It wasn't too long after that I was in the car with my dad. He was taking me somewhere and he nervously cleared his throat. And he said, "Uh, you know about all that stuff, right? (laughs) And I honestly had no clue what he was talking about. What stuff? You know, sex. And it kind of sounded like a question that I needed to answer. So speaking just barely above a whisper and staring at my shoes the whole time, I said, yeah. And he said, good. And that was that. That was it. That was the version of the talk that I got. Well, today we're going to have the talk. We're going to talk about sex. Oh, dude, I invited my grandma. It's okay. We don't have, an, we don't have any charts or graphs uh, or pictures. We're going to talk about sex from God's perspective. Because, you know, most people really don't even know if God has anything to say. Or if He does have something to say, they have no idea of what He has to say about the subject of sex. And so as a result... People draw some wrong and negative conclusions, like God doesn't want you to have sex. Or if you do, it's, it's only to make babies, and you better not enjoy it. <laughs> See, we got to get this right, because this is one of the big three, right? This is, this is one of the reasons that couples end a relationship, financial pressures, communication issues, or problems with sex and intimacy. So we better get this right. And the reality is that sex is a neglected topic in the church. We, we just don't talk about it. It's not dealt with. And some of us in this room, when you heard that there was going to be a message uh, on sex in this series, it bothered you. You wondered if it was appropriate. Well, if that's you, I'll tell you this. It's been in the Bible forever. I mean, it's been in the Bible forever. It's just that the church has a hard time talking about what God talks about quite openly. 
So we're going to set some ground rules before we push forward. These are, these are the givens. These are the things that just establish the basis on which we're going to build this morning. And here's the first one. God created sex. He absolutely did. You know, there was this moment in time when sex did not exist. And God said, I've got a great idea. And I think people are really going to like it. Right? So, uh, sex isn't dirty. It isn't bad. God created it. It's a creation of God. Here's the second one, second ground rule. Sex is for married couples. Now, that, that's been God's intention since the beginning of time. And it's because sex is more than a physical act. It is, a, it is an emotional act. It's a, an act of love and commitment. The Bible says, and we're going to come back to this in a few minutes, but the Bible says that in that act, two people become one flesh. So it can never be casual. It can never be inconsequential. It's not a benefit of friendship. Then here's the, here's the final ground rule before we push on. God wants married couples to have great sex. Oh, come on. God doesn't care about that. Really? I mean, a God who cares about how a husband and wife communicate with each other. A God who cares about how we speak to one another. A God who cares about what kind of parents we are. A God who cares about how we handle our finances. A God who cares about all other spiritual, emotional, and physical aspects of our lives. You're going to tell me that that God cares about all that other stuff and He doesn't care about our intimate physical relationship? Oh, I'm sorry, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. God created our bodies, our spirits, our emotions for the way that they are created for a reason. And see, that's why this subject really needs to be brought out into the open in the church. Because we need to know what God's heart is on this most important part of our lives. So I want us to look at some scripture where God speaks pretty openly about that. We're in Song of Solomon chapter 4 this morning. And again, if you, if you just kind of split your Bible down the middle and open it up, you're going to be awful close to Song of Solomon. You may have to go back a little bit one way or the other. But We're in a series we're calling Naked, uncovering the truth about relationships. And we're looking at this book in the Bible called Song of Solomon, the story of this couple, King Solomon of Israel, and this woman, and we're not ever really told her name. But they meet, they fall in love, they, they get to know each other, they, they get married, they spend the rest of their lives together, and they live happily ever after. And you know what? That's what we all want, isn't it? Happily ever after. But what we're discovering as we go through this book is that happily ever after doesn't just happen. It takes work. It takes some effort if our dream is going to become a reality. Just to catch you up, we've been in this for a couple of weeks, but so far in our story, this couple has met, and again, they've spent some time getting to know each other, and they've just gotten married. Last week, we, we, we were at their wedding, and they just got married, and this week, now, today, it is their wedding night, and now we've got to keep in mind that this book is poetry, 
And so it's full of all kind of symbolic and metaphorical language. And we're going to have to dig a, a little deeper to, to get to the meaning of things. But I, I think we will find that this is some of the most expressive and some of the most informative language in all of Scripture when it comes to the intimate physical relationship between a husband and wife. And I think along the way, building on those, those ground rules, those, that foundation, we're going to discover four important biblical truths about sex according to God's Word. We're going to start in Song of Solomon 4 and verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, the verses will be up on the screen as we go along this morning. He says, You are beautiful, my darling, beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are as white as sheep, recently shorn and freshly washed. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with its twin. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. You know, Solomon wrote a lot of songs. He's kind of the John Mayer of his day. Your body is a wonderland. Your, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. Here's the first truth, biblical truth about sex I want us to see. Sex starts before the bedroom. It starts before the bedroom. And guys, this is a tough one for us. Okay? Because I know you've heard it said that, you know, when it comes to getting ready, that guys are like a microwave. One button, boom, it's on. <laughs> Women are like a crock pot. <laughs> it takes... It takes a while to get them from, you know, simmer to a boil, right? And Solomon recognizes that. He, he recognizes that, and that's why he speaks to her the way that he does. We, and we read that today. I mean, I heard you laughing when I was reading the Scripture a minute ago. I heard you giggling. I mean, we, and we, we read it, and we think, really? They're getting ready to be together for the first time. I mean, it's their wedding night, and he's talking about birds and goats and fruit. Seriously? Well, yeah. Because in the language of the day, he is telling her how beautiful she is. And he's telling her over and over how lovely she is. And he's telling her in very descriptive ways how beautiful she is. Hey, guys, women want to know things like that, right? They, they want to hear things like that, and they want specifics. They don't want to hear, yeah, you look good. And they really don't want to hear, hey, you look good enough to go out. Let's go. Okay? They want to hear, wow, your hair looks nice. You got it cut, didn't you? And by the way, if they get it cut and you don't notice, no sex for you. They want to hear a specific description of what it is you, you like. Be, be specific. Pick out something specific. Compliment their, their, their makeup. Compliment their outfit. Be specific. I love what Solomon says in verse 1. He says, your hair is like goats. Like the goats of Gilead. Now, you know, comparing your wife to a goat is not always a good thing. But in this case, it is. The goats that he's talking about here 
are the ancestors of what have come down to us today as Anatolian blacks, Anatolian black goats, coal black, long-haired goats. And if you looked up on the, on the side of a hill and you saw a herd of hundreds of these goats coming down the hill, it, 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 it reminded Solomon of long, cascading hair. Solomon is saying, I love, I love your long, flowing black hair. I love that. And then he, I think my favorite thing is in verse 2 when he, when he says, your teeth are like sheep and none of them are missing. <laughs> I want to tell you something there. That is proof that you can always find something to compliment on. Honey, you can't cook, and we live in a dump, but hey, you got all your teeth. <laughs> I mean, we, what we have to keep in mind is that this culture is thousands and thousands of years before anything resembling modern dentistry, okay? There was no crest. <laughs> there was no Listerine. There were no whitening strips. There was no floss. And he's telling her, you've got this beautiful, full smile. And then he says, your cheeks are rosy like pomegranates. I don't know if you've ever complimented your wife's cheeks, but surprise her sometime. <laughs> I mean, just out of the blue. Turn and say, babe, you've got high-quality cheeks. I just thought you ought to know that. <laughs> but you see what he's doing? It's their wedding night, and they're going to consummate their marriage, and he can't stop telling her how beautiful she is. And don't miss this. It's all happening before he ever touches her. Guys, our wives don't want to be attacked. right? Like we're linebackers, and she's the quarterback, and we're blitzing for the sack. I thought that'd get a bigger laugh. I worked half a week on that line right there. That one sentence I worked a week on. She wants to be approached like you found something beautiful and valuable, something to be treasured. Men, men and women are stimulated in very different ways. Men are stimulated visually. Ladies, that's why you have no budgetary limits when you shop at Victoria's Secret. Honey, I spent $200 at the mall. $200 at Victoria's Secret. Hallelujah. <laughs> hey, they don't wear that stuff because it's comfortable. You know that, right? Men are stimulated visually. Women are stimulated when you show interest in them, when you show that you care about their, what their experience is. So when you go home and you're saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out about her day. See, see what, what she experienced today. I'm going to help with the dishes. I'm going to help with the kids. All of that helps arouse your wife's desire for you. And it all takes place on this side of the bedroom door. Well, let's go on. Verse 5. Your breasts are like two fawns. Twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. Before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee, I will hurry to the mountain of myrrh, to the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. Beautiful in every way. Here's the second biblical truth about sex I want you to see. 
Sex should be tender and passionate. Let me read those verses today. And quite frankly, just wonder why Solomon doesn't get slapped. I mean, comparing his wife's breast to a couple of baby deer. Come on, it's your wedding night, and you're thinking about Bambi? But let me ask you this. Any deer hunters in the house? Deer hunters? Anybody? Bow season opens next week, right? Early bow season. You see a couple of deer. Do you just take off running like a crazy person? Screaming at the top of your lungs? You don't do that. What do you do? You, you wait. Right? You bide your time. You take it slow. He's approaching her with gentleness. He's approaching her with, with a soft touch, with a caress. And when he tells her in verse 7, you are beautiful in every way. In the original language, he's telling her that she is without spot or blemish, that there is no def defect in her. It's temple talk. It was language that was used to describe the lambs that were sacrificed on the altar for the sins of the people. They have to be perfect in order to be offered to God. And so this couple has gone into their bedroom. They're together in this way for the very first time. And she is essentially disrobed before her husband. And he looks at her body and says, you're perfect in every way. He's saying to her, you are perfect and acceptable and desirable to me. Just the way you are. This is huge, guys. Because our wives most likely have some insecurities about their physical appearance. And my goodness, who wouldn't in this culture? In this culture, I mean, look at the images of beauty that are pushed by our culture. Look at what culture says is desirable and attractive. Most of these images aren't even real. I want you to take a look at, at this little short piece of video right here. We've got we to remind ourselves, we've got to remind our spouses and dads, moms and dads, I would tell you, if you have daughters, you especially need to tell your daughters that the images of beauty they see in popular culture and popular media are not real. They're made up, they're computer generated, they're airbrushed, they're photoshopped, they're not real. 
They're idealized. It's something that doesn't really exist. And we can say to our wives, you're beautiful because you're keeping it real. There's nothing wrong with you because you're real. And I love you and accept you just the way you are. Now, ladies, it may surprise you to know this, but men generally have a higher sex drive than women. Really? Yeah, we do. And a man, a man feels love and experiences an emotional connection through the sexual relationship. See, men, they, they aren't touchy-feely like women are. I mean, you can go to the mall, and you see women that are just, you know, friends or sisters or whatever, and they, they have their arms around each other, and they're touching each other all the time, and, you know, look at this, oh, this is... The, and they, they, they walk along holding hands. Hey, men don't do that at Home Depot. Okay? We don't walk through Home Depot and go, oh, fence posts are on sale, holding hands, all right? If I'm in Home Depot and my friend tries to hold my hand, I'm going to hit him with a fence post. And then I'm going to tell him God loves him. <laughs> and I love him too, just not that way. One of the reasons men see sex as so important is the, and they may not verbalize it. They might, may not even consciously make this connection in their heads, but they need that emotional connection. They need that love connection. So when a guy is putting the moves on his wife and he gets rejected, it wounds him. It makes him feel less like a man. And if he gets rejected often enough and long enough, he will eventually stop trying because he doesn't want to go around feeling that way all the time. And you know what? I understand that sometimes it's not the right time. I understand that you say, well, sometimes I just don't feel like it. You know, I'm tired. I have a headache. I understand that. That's perfectly understandable. But let me tell you something. When you're not feeling it, you've got to find a way to communicate that in a way that does not demoralize the man to the point that he just quits trying because he doesn't want to keep on being rejected and feeling, feeling less like a man. And can I just say, if a headache lasts six months, you should probably see a doctor. Maybe, maybe you heard about the man. He got home one day before his wife did. She got home. He met her at the door with two aspirin and a glass of water. She said, what's that for? He said, that's for your headache. She said, I don't have a headache. He said, gotcha. <laughs> oh, now the guys are taking notes. You see them? <laughs> to Advil right after church. If you have to say no, do it in a way that does not wound your husband because if you don't, he will he'll pull back. He'll pull away. And, and trust will begin to erode. And that leads us to the next thing. Look at verse 8. Song of Solomon 4, verse 8. He says, Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Come down from Mount, Mount Amana, from the peaks of Sinir and, and Hermon. For the lions have their dens and the leopards live among the hills. Here's the third important truth about sex. Sex is built on trust. 
The mountains that Solomon mentions, Amana and Sunir and Hermon, they're in the northern part of Israel. And they're in an area that is populated by a lot of wild animals, including dangerous ones like lions and leopards. It was an area where you had to be cautious. You have to have your guard up. You have to be aware of your surroundings at all times because if you don't, those animals could kill you. And here's what he's saying to her. You're safe with me. Come with me. Let's leave this dangerous place and come with me. You can trust me. You're safe with me. Because he's going to love her in a way she wants to be loved. And every successful marriage is built on trust. Trust comes from knowing that the other person is going to put you first, is going to look out for your best interest, and is going to support your best interest. See, if our spouses think that our goal is selfish, self-centered, personal gratification, they will never fully trust us. Remember, a man's a, crock, uh, a microwave, a woman's a, a crockpot. And when it comes to making love, everything is either a pathway or a roadblock. <laughs> and it's, it's hard for us guys to get our heads around that. Because we think, okay, we had an argument. If we have sex, the argument will be over. Yes, men think that sex is an argument eraser. But for a woman, the argument erases the desire for physical intimacy. I'd write that stuff down, guys, if I was you. Here's what you got to know. We have to build trust into the relationship. That other person in our relationship has to know, I'm going to put you and your needs and your interests first. I'm going to support you. I'm going to take care of you. You're safe with me. You can trust me. See, in a relationship, two people are trying to figure out if they can trust each other. And you know what? If they can, if they feel safe and secure and they feel trust, they will open themselves up to one another emotionally, spiritually, physically, in ways that are very rewarding to each other, to the relationship. Let's go on. Verse 12. Solomon is, is speaking. He says, you, you are my private garden, my treasure, my bride. A secluded spring, a hidden fountain, your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices, henna with nard, nard and saffron, fragrant calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes and every other lovely place. You are a garden fountain, a well of fresh water streaming down from Lebanon's mountains. And then the young woman speaks in verse 16, Awake, north wind, rise up, south wind, blow on my garden and spread its fragrance all around. Come into your garden, my love, and taste its finest fruits. And the man speaks again in chapter 5, verse 1. I have entered my garden, my treasure, my bride. I gather myrrh with my spices and, and eat honeycomb with my honey. I drink wine with my milk. Here's the, the fourth important biblical truth about sex. Sex is holy. It's this holy, sanctified thing. Notice how he's talking here. He tells her that she's a private garden. She's a secluded spring. She's a hidden fountain. In a, in a very beautiful and poetic way, he's telling her, you saved yourself for me. 
They have waited until they were married to be together in that kind of physical relationship. And that night was special and it was holy. You see, holy means something set apart for a special purpose. Something set apart for God's purposes. Solomon is saying, we've waited now until this special day. We've entered into a godly, committed relationship for the rest of our lives. And now we have this holy thing. This part of our lives. Single people, students, you listen to me. You have to make a decision. Do you want your wedding night to be a special, holy thing? Or just business as usual? You need to know that God's will for you. And that's just another way of saying God's best plan for your life. The way to live that's going to benefit you the most is waiting until you are married to give yourself to another person in a physical relationship. Nine times in the passage we just read, Solomon uses the word my, my garden, my treasure, my bride. Because now that they've made that commitment to one another, she really is his, he really is hers, and not everybody else that came before them. God created sex to be this this awesome, holy thing between a husband and wife. But if it's going to be that way, We've got to do things His way. Remember last week we saw that verse in Mark chapter 10 where Jesus said that when a couple marries, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. What I didn't point out there last week is that the the literal language there is one flesh. The two become one flesh. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this theme in some verses that we looked at last week in our life groups in 1 Corinthians 6 when he says that when a man and woman are joined together in a physical relationship, they become one body with each other. And then he makes this incredible observation in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. He says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? I told my life group that us Christians, we sure like to use that verse to say, don't smoke. You know, don't eat bacon double cheeseburgers. Don't get a tattoo. And all of that misses the point of what Paul is saying here. It doesn't have anything to do with that stuff. What Paul is saying is that the physical relationship between a husband and wife is a picture of the way God joined His Holy Spirit to us when we were saved. That's why it's holy. That's why it's worth waiting for. Now I need to say this. If you've, if you've been around here a while and you know a little bit about my speaking style and you manage to stay awake, you know I overspeak sometimes for effect, right? But I I really feel like I need to pull back just a moment and say this to you because I know that there are some people who've been listening to me and maybe since the beginning of this series and you're thinking, I have just messed things up so bad. 
I've been in one relationship after another. I've been in one physical relationship after another. And maybe you feel guilty or you feel ashamed. You may even be mad at me for telling you the truth. But can I say this to you? You are not meant to live with guilt and shame over your past. God never intended for you to carry all that stuff around with you for the rest of your life. Can I just tell you that there is a place where you can lay it all down. You can lay down the baggage of your past. You can lay down past sins, past mistakes, past relationships, and walk away clean and forgiven and brand new. And listen to me, listen. It's at the foot of that cross. It's at the feet of Jesus. And none of us, none of us have ever done anything that God cannot forgive. I know we got some folks here who say, well, Pastor, we're living together now. We're not married. We're involved in a physical relationship. We're not married. What should we do? Okay. You're not going to like what I have to say. But please know this. I love you. And I'm on your side. And I'm speaking to you as an advocate of God's grace. At the least... And I know there's some economic realities today that might make it very difficult moving into two separate households. I understand that. So at the least, you need to put a halt to your physical relationship. That's kind of, that's kind of step one. If you will do that, if you will put the physical part of your relationship on hold until you are married and you can do things right, if you will do that, then you will begin to restore some dignity back into your relationship. You will restore respect for one another back into your relationship. And get this, you will restore some of that holiness, some of that sacredness back into your relationship. Pastor, you're so out of touch and old-fashioned. That's not the way the world works, man. Yeah, I'm not too impressed with the way the world works. 50% divorce rate. 65% divorce rate for second marriages. 75% divorce rate for third marriages. Yeah, I, that's the way the world works. I don't care about how the world works. I'm concerned about how the kingdom of God works. And, and listen, again, please listen. I'm not judging anybody, and I am definitely not condemning you. I want to tell you, I'm not going to allow anybody in this church to judge you or condemn you. I'm on your side, and it's only by the grace and love and mercy of our Heavenly Father that I can offer you something that will help you and not hurt you. Come see me. Okay? Come talk to me. Let me counsel with you. We can have you married and doing this thing right in a month. But listen, this could be the time to do that. This could be a divine destiny for your relationship right now. But 
I know some of you aren't ready. Okay. Please don't disappear. Please stay here and let us love on you. And let God work in your life and let him pour his grace and his mercy into your life and be here. I'm going to tell you, this is a safe place for you to be. This is the safest place you could ever be. Mainly because we're not going to try to be the Holy Spirit for you. We're going to let God use his own Holy Spirit to to convict you and to move you to the place where you need to be. And all we're going to do is love you and accept you. I'm going to wrap this up this morning just talking to the married folks for a minute. Husbands and wives. Maybe today, maybe today you would say, you know what, there's some distance that's just kind of crept in. There's a sort of a separation. And, and Pastor, I, I don't really pursue my spouse today. Not like I did when we were dating. Not, not, not like I did when I really wanted to be with them or, or when we were first married. Well, there's good news for you today too. And the good news for you is that God can give you a fresh start. No matter how long you've been married, no matter how crazy things have gotten in your relationship, God can give you a brand new start. And all it takes is a step in His direction. Just a step. Maybe it's the first of many steps. Maybe it's your last step. But just a step in His direction. He can restore affection. He can restore trust. He can restore passion. And He can lead us to have the kind of relationship in every way, spiritually, emotionally, physically, that we long for, that we dream about. Happily ever after doesn't just happen. It takes effort. It takes a series of those steps, and we can start taking those steps right now. As you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.